Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to episode 60 of District of Conservation. Today's featured guest is Brad Smith of Walton Rods. Brad is an outdoor communicator by trade, and he and a business partner of his launched this fly rod company several years ago. Everything is exclusively American-made, really tailor-made for fly anglers of all abilities, and he also shares about his outdoor journey and an interesting thing that happened to him while fly fishing. I want you to listen to the episode to see exactly what what it is or hear what it is, and uh, we just had a really fun conversation, and I think you will enjoy this episode and hearing from a business owner, entrepreneur, really making waves in fly fishing. I have been using Walton rods uh, for the last year or so. I love fishing with the rod. It's a six-weight rod, beautifully done, and I've had no issues with it, and I think you're going to like the quality of the product after you listen to our conversation with Brad. Here it is. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. I'm excited to speak with you more about what Walton rods is up to and uh, your background in the outdoor industry. Yeah, thanks. Thanks absolutely for having me. But yeah, I'm, I'm this is Brad Smith. I'm the I'm the president, uh, co-founder uh, of uh, Walton Rods. Uh, we've been we've been doing this now. I think we're going on our fourth years of full time uh, LLC. But we've been making rods before that um, for a while. We just kind of made it official several years ago, and uh, it's it's been a trip since then. Uh, but yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Absolutely. We have actually been connected for, I think, a good four to five years when I was writing for Wide Open Spaces. You have an outdoor communicators background, yeah? Is that how you originally got into the outdoor industry and just kind of segued into business? What's your kind of explain your journey and how you got to this point in launching a fly rod business? Sure. Well, I actually, my journey, I started out, I think, uh, when I was 16, I started uh, bass fishing tournaments here in Indiana. And I uh, traveled around on weekend tournaments doing that. Uh, I started writing for a few Bassin Magazine, a, a couple different magazines when I was in high school. My, uh, my creative, write te- creative writing teacher uh, pushed me to try and get into that. So I, remember, I still remember my first published article was about a figure eight for musky fishing uh, when I was a junior, I believe. But uh, so, yeah, I kind of fished all through high school. And then when I went to college, uh, I was guiding uh, in Kentucky and, uh, I, I guided a little bit in Wisconsin and Indiana and just around the place, uh, all kind of around the Midwest. And then I actually started a lure company in my dorm room, uh, making musky lures, uh, in my dorm room. And then I had a company offer to, to buy that from me, uh, kind of by the time I was out of college and then kind of made, kind of made that transition. Uh, and then I started getting outdoors writing, actually. I, I kind of followed that more into the hunting and the fishing aspect. And I was just doing my own thing. Uh, it's kind of, this has been, you know, several years ago with the, the podcasts and, and the, the personal blogs and, and social media really hadn't taken off yet. And I just kind of started writing uh, my own wild game recipes. 
and I did a little bit uh, with uh, Field and Stream, uh, submitting a bunch of recipes with Food Fight Friday, and uh, that's actually how Wide Open Spaces found me. Uh, hmm. They found one of my recipes on Twitter, and they're like, hey, we like this. Would you want to do this for us? And so uh, I started writing for them on a contractual basis, and then I started writing re- wild game recipes for some other places, and then uh, it kind of went more full time into into Walton or into wide open spaces, just because of the the sheer volume you could put out uh, at the time. It was paying really well, kind of before all the Facebook changes made with their algorithms and links and and clicks and all that. But uh, that's kind of where the outdoors writing got me into this, and through all that outdoors writing, kind of being a steward of. Uh, of the money that was coming in from that, I just kind of socked and saved and was able to uh, start Walton Rods through that, uh, just kind of from a passion of fly fishing. That's kind of where where it came from. Yeah, that that's very interesting, going from doing communications or bass fishing communications to launching the rod company. But what exactly was the impetus behind starting the rod company? Were you noticing a deficit in the existing market, uh, what, what did you recognize that compelled you to, to start it? Sure. My co-founder, uh, Mike Malko is his name. He's, uh, he's a, uh, he was in the, uh, the army Rangers for, I think it was 10 years in. he got injured, but, uh, he did multiple tours overseas, all that kind of stuff. And, and he had just gotten out and, uh, him and I were on a fishing trip together and we were just sitting there complaining about fly fishing because we'd, both just kind of got into it uh both loved it both learning kind of together and and he was on worlds beyond my capabilities i mean he still is the way he can cast and all the stuff he can do it's it's i mean when gabrielle when you get around somebody that really knows how to fly fish it is an amazing thing and i've I've seen that (laughs) (laughs) i've learned a lot from him and uh we were just sitting there talking about man why is fly fishing so expensive like, what is the secret recipe behind a $900 rod? Does it really make you that good of a fisherman? Or is it just marketing? Are we just being scammed? What is the secret behind an $80 rod? What, is, it, is it really just a bad rod? Or is it a, I mean, you know, what's the deal? And so uh, I'm entrepreneurial. I mean, other than the, uh, my, my lure business, I also own an antler business uh, where I was buying and selling elk antlers. <laughs> we were turning them into dog bones, and so I own I own huh. that business as well. And uh, but then yeah, with Walton Rods, we just kind of decided, well, let's look into it. Can we make our own fly rod? And really, it was just out of curiosity. What what is the secret sauce? Can is it doable? Is it really this expensive? Or are we just being scammed? And that's literally what the mindset was. And so uh, kind of through some connections I had in the outdoors industry, still do. We just started looking around and started talking to some people and saying, hey, I'm thinking about making a fly rod. How do I do this? What do I do? And, man, there's all kinds of tutorials out there. There's all there's a wealth of info on how to do this. And when you get into it, it's, it's, it's a simple process to do, but it's complicated. you got to kind of know what you're doing. And through this process, though, what we have found, and that's kind of why the real thing on said we're going to do this, is probably about 95, 90, 95% of the fly fishing market is imported. It's, it's Chinese, it's Korean uh, made rods. It's, it's just what it is. And so reaching out to these companies, that's where I was finding out 
actually what the secret sauce is, and it's buying a fly rod for as cheap as, you, as possible and then seeing how much a consumer is willing to pay for it. And hmm. so by all intents and per- that that turned our stomachs. <laughs> we were like, yeah, we have been taken advantage of and we've, we've fallen for it because we're of the mindset, if I don't own a $500 rod, I'm less than. And that, and the only reason that rod is $500 is because that's the price tag that was put on it. And so we kind of decided we're going to do this differently. And both of us, uh, me and him, we both have jobs, you know, we, we we're fully supported in other ways. We, we do this because we enjoy it because we enjoy being kind of a kink in the fly fishing system where what we have done, we, we worked with some partners on the, on the inside of the industry that do not make fly rods, but they make rods for us kind of through a contractual handshake proprietary agreement. And we're doing it in a way that a lot of places just can't do because if you follow our social media, we make it pretty clear. Like we do this for fun. We're not, we're not making a ton of money on this. We're doing it simply because we can offer a rod that is superior in a lot of aspects at a price point that actually justifies what the rod should be worth instead of what we expect we can get out of somebody. And so we're pretty transparent on that. And that's kind of why we, why we launched this to begin with is we wanted to provide a better way, what we thought was a better way. And uh, thankfully we've had kind of a groundswell of people that like it. They like the fact that everything we do is sourced in the United States. That's what we do. You know, we, we can, we can direct import a rod from China like everybody else, but we just won't, (laughs) you know? And, and that's kind of been our shtick. That's what people tend to, to like about it. And that's what we, we plan to keep on expanding on and, and growing on, you know, as we get into next year. So there is your question, Gabrielle, I just kind of rolled there. No, no, that that's perfectly acceptable because I think there is that American made, it's not a trend, but it, and not a fad either, but I think it's just becoming more popular that more people are kind of demanding consumer products to be produced and manufactured in the United States. And I think people, I haven't seen any polling on this, but I gather just from public opinion, I think people have said, and I, I've talked with people and who have said that they would be willing to pay more for products, even if uh, they come at a little more cost than, let's say, other brands, if it's produced and made here in the United States. So I think people are willing to sacrifice just a little bit just to have a highly uh, more quality-based product in their hands. And I've, 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 since you sent me the rod to try, I've grown to love it. I've broken into it quite well, and I've had really good success, as, you, as you've seen, yeah, uh, with my recent jo- yeah, with my recent travels in Georgia, like yeah. the trophy, like steelhead types, like eat up the rod quite well, especially with the flies <laughs> and, and they can withstand the pull <laughs> and the, and the girth of the fish. So you, you guys certainly do make a quality product. That's why I wanted to bring you on and sure. to have people discover you more. Uh, but no, the American made thing is certainly a kind of hot commodity. Now uh, you hear about people talking about that in politics and all over the place. And I think, uh, there's just more of an interest to have things made here uh, to better support small businesses like yourself. And uh, you were saying that social media has kind of given rise to your business. And I think we've talked offline about this several times, how without social media, you wouldn't really have uh, a pretty consistent customer base. Can you explain that more and, and how integral uh, those mediums play for your business? 
Yeah, social media has been huge for us. I would I would say almost as much as 80, 80 to 90% of our sales are directly from Instagram. It's, it's an Instagram-based business, but we've been diversifying quite a bit. Uh, I've been purposefully, I've been avoiding Facebook. I, I'm not a fan of Facebook. Uh, I don't like the way they do business platforms personally. And I'm, we're at a place that we don't need to deal with it. So we just said, we're not dealing with Facebook. So although Instagram is owned by Facebook, I know they are. Right. Right. And and if if Facebook implements the same changes they did with Instagram, we will probably abandon Instagram as well uh, and, and go a different route. And, and that's part of why we've been looking at different ways, but uh, you know, just like all things change, Instagram will eventually not be where it's at and some other platform will be there. And we've, we're, we're constantly on the lookout for what the next thing is. Where, where can we put a footprint? But right now, Instagram is just huge. And um, there's positive and negatives with that. And the negatives have been coming out more and more. But I can get into that in a minute. But <laughs> what we've been basically doing is just um, we're a direct connection to the fishermen. And so people catch fish on our rods, they'll tag us, you know, and we comment, we, we go back and forth, we share tips, but we're, we're direct access. When people message Walton Rods, they're getting me and they're getting Mike, you know, the, the two co-founders of this company are who is directly responding to you. And, and people kind of dig that, that they have direct access to us. But also that crowd, I mean, the, the Instagram crowd, the number one people that access our site are basically, I think it's between like 26 and 34. I mean, that's our wheelhouse. Those, those are the people that buy our rods. Uh, they're also the people that share on Instagram. So it's kind of a perfect storm of our base. And a lot of that is the millennial crowd. And we've kind of changed a lot of our marketing to specifically target millennials. And, it, and it's through social media. But it's an easy concept that if you need a rod that's going to catch multiple fish, it's not going to break. If it does, we got a warranty. It's a lower cost but a high quality. This is it. And we simplify it to, to that level. Because if, if you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to figure out what, just what fly rod should I buy, it's so confusing. You know, what are the, what are the weights? What, what action? What length? How, what graphite modulus? You know, all, all this stuff. And then, and then, it, it, then it just gets confusing. And so people kind of turn away from it. And we've gone to lengths to simplify that just by saying, if you need A, here's B. This will get you C. And that's kind of the message you put out on social media. And again, and again, people respond to that. And so um, the only specials, the only sales we ever do are on social media. We don't do them on our website. We do it to the people that follow us. And we do it with the people that communicate with us. And so kind of as a reward, we put all of our marketing, we put all of our promotions only on social media. And uh, I mean, again, if one of those platforms change, we're going to have to adapt with them. But uh, at this point in time, it's been it's been working pretty well, and so we've we've been running with it. Yeah, that's good to hear because I know social media has been very helpful to small businesses. I'm just interested to see how the Instagram like change, the hidden likes, will affect people's businesses, yeah. especially as it relates to uh, influencer work um, there. But I think you, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, you had told me that. Uh, you guys do not have brand influencers who work with you. You do work with people. You have special relationships, but you kind of shrug off uh, dealing with influencers directly. Why is that? In the outdoors industry, the word influencer is becoming a, a 
a a very negative connotation, <laughs> like in, from my perspective, because uh, you uh, it's it's rampant. People cross ethical lines to get the picture. Uh, you and then rumors spread, and it hurts your business. And so we have stayed away from that whole influencer thing. One because it's fake, and what you look for in the outdoors industry, if I'm gonna, if I want somebody using my rods, I want them to be genuine. I want them to be real. I want them to do it because they like the rod, not because I'm paying them or giving them free stuff to do it. And I, that turns my stomach, but that's the way the industry is gone. And so people are wanting that promotion. They're wanting all these followers. They're wanting all this free stuff. But then again, at what cost are they doing it? And for example, I just got an email from somebody the other day saying, Hey, I want you to know somebody using your rods and they said they're affiliated with you is snagging fish for pictures like fish are spawning right now. And, and some are slate spawners that they're specifically targeting fish just to spa- just to get the picture and they're snagging them to do it. Okay. That that's a terrible thing. And this person has a lot of followers. They represent several companies have no clue if it's true or not, but that's the message that that's out there. You know what I mean? And so I, I wrote them back and said, look, I know who this person is. We are absolutely not affiliated. We don't even do that. I don't know what they're saying. I, I can't control those things. But that, that influencer community is becoming a toxic thing to some small businesses. Let me say that. Now, like for someone like Pepsi, who cares? It's a Pepsi. But when this is a small little brand that has a very specific product, one wrong influencer can kill you. I think it can just crush your business. And so that's just not a that's not a thing we play with. We would rather deal with somebody that that wants to do it for the for the the purity of it as opposed to the money of it or the the benefits of it. And so that that's kind of why we stayed away from that. Now the people that we do work with, uh, they're guides, they're they're writers, they are outfitters, they're people in the industry. And now we do have business relationships with them, where okay, cool, you guys are using our rods, we'll sponsor a, a guide service. Uh, people they send us, you know, we have give and takes and, and that kind of stuff, but that's because they're using our gear because they want to, because they like it, because they believe in the company, they believe in the rods. And so we help them out for, for doing so and vice versa. But no, we, d- we just don't give rods to people because they have, you know, 50,000 followers. That's that's the problem. <laughs> that's the dark side of of what the influencer marketing is becoming, in my opinion. Sorry if I just kind of went on a soapbox. No. Right? By all means, it's a, a raw, honest look into uh, that. I, th- I would expect a business like yours to be on the receiving end of such requests. I have friends with other small businesses also complain to me that, yes, I've been approached for like free product, or I talk to some nonprofits and others, and they're like, oh, it's so annoying that people keep asking us for product. And I told them, like, don't you guys never have to worry about me asking for free product? <laughs> I promise. <Yeah. laughs> there's, a, there's a right way to go about it. I mean, absolutely. I started, I started out the same way. And the way I started out, though, was with products that I already had that I used that I believed in. And, you know, just through social media, sharing the stuff I already had, opportunities came. But, what you're finding now is that people won't even tag you in a photo. They won't even share a photo unless there's some kind of a, a give and take for it. And so we've been noticing, I was even having a conversation. I was just in Colorado uh, elk hunting a few weeks ago with my buddy, my partner, my co-founder. And uh, we were actually talking about this, about how the number of our tags 
and our mentions and people sharing our content has dramatically decreased because people, more and more and more people are wanting something for that. And so this, the Instagram platform has been turning into more of a pay me and I'll share your photo as opposed to sharing it because it's a cool experience they had. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's so peculiar. I, that's hmm. kind of why I'm saying I, we've been looking at other avenues because I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I like sharing the rod because it helps de- me deliver on catching fish. And it's really, it's it's perfect for my size. I'm, I'm a petite woman and I like the six weight rod. It's really comfortable. It's a nice color. I've never had it fall apart or break apart on me. I love how it snaps so easily, how versatile it is. Uh, and I've handled a few other fly rods before, not that many, but like the others I felt like weren't making the fishing experience as comfortable as it should be. But your rod is just like easy to transport, easy to break apart, put together uh, to do the, to just to, to line your rod perfectly fine with line and uh, all that and flies. And it makes it, I never really have too much of issues. I mean, everyone gets flies snagged here and there, but that's inevitable when you're fly fishing. (laughs) But, but no, I love tagging you guys when I can, just because I'm like, I had, you know, cool yeah, it was cool. I don't expect anything in return. If you reshare it, that's perfectly cool too. I don't expect anything in advance or excuse me. Uh, I don't expect anything in return, I should say. Uh, but it, it's just fun to do that and give attribution to cool products you use. It's not like I'm endorsing this and like, I solely use this, but I can always, you know, go back and do that just because I have been given something to test or something to, uh, add to my repertoire. And I like doing that just because that's how you go about thanking people and you never know what it could result in, in the yeah. future. Now we'll get people that uh, they'll say, Hey, I want a, a discount or whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. If, if that's what it takes and it'll make you happy. Sure. And then they'll, uh, they'll post, I don't know, four or five pictures. And then they'll say, Hey, if you want me to do that again, I'll need a, I'll need, you know, $25 a post. Oh, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Like, are you, are you, like, are you kidding me? And then if you're like, no, man, I, like, I, I sold you a rod cause you, you wanted one. I'm, I'm not trying to pay you for this now. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been crazy that that's, that's happening more times than it's not, unfortunately. And so, uh, Instagram, I'm sure Facebook will find a way to regulate that at some point because they're going to try and get their money out of that somehow. I, I would assume. Yeah. Pay to play. It comes. <laughs> Yeah, when that change comes, Instagram will will dem- dramatically change. I would assume. Yeah, and maybe with know. maybe with the way that you orient uh, any partnerships you have with guides or writers and things, I think there's an option now that says even if you don't have a business account, it says if you use the word like hashtag ad, you yeah. can you can say that like you sponsored it. So maybe look into that mm-hmm. to to establish those relations better, so you know who's actually affiliated with you. Uh, it doesn't yeah. mean that you're paying them. Maybe you gave them the rod and that's how you process the sure. payment or showcase that it's a sponsored ad because you gave them the rod uh, without yeah. any exchange of money, but maybe do that. So, you know, you don't have people fraudulently claiming they're working with you. Yeah, that, that, that happens. There's a yeah. lot of people that have us tagged and, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it doesn't really make much of a difference to me. It's cool. You know, whatever people like saying they're affiliated or they bought a rod and they want to promote us, you know, whatever. And, and also, Gabra, I'm not trying to spread the word that, you know, everybody's that way. No, no, this of course not. That it, it puts a real bad taste in your mouth. But this is the reason why we did away with uh, involving brand ambassadors and that kind of stuff. Because it just, 
once you say yes, you got to say yes to everybody. So we just say no. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. And, uh, and there's still so many good people out there that just enjoy sharing experiences and, and that kind of stuff. And we love being a part of it. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's the stuff you look forward to when you, when you see those tags, when you see those pictures that post up, it's like, man, they really had a cool day or they caught the biggest fish of their life. And it just so happened to be on our rod. I mean, that's an incredible feeling. That is so cool. Yeah, that happened to me when I caught my personal best rainbow ever yeah. and on a fly rod back in August. So, no, of course, I think people should definitely brag about catching their biggest catch on a rod like yours. That. It's like we're so honored that you did your, your first, that biggest yeah. catch came up on the rod. Yeah. No, it was fun. The, the tug was yeah. so amazing, and it was just so awesome to wrestle that fish and on the fly, which is not something you'd expect. Right. Yeah. No, it's like I could expect that on bait cast or spin cast, but never, never thought I would on a fly rod this early into experimenting with it. But no, it's, it's true. And yeah, assessing those brand relationships and yeah, like, like you were mentioning, I think a transformation is going to happen with that. And companies have to decide how to either go along with uh, metrics changes or just reassessing certain relationships or not leaning on that. Or maybe there's going to be something different that people oh. do to a new tactic that comes about to replace brand ambassadors. If it becomes kind of passe or, or boring or kind of outdated and not effective. So I think it could change. Um, I'm a little skeptical of the hidden likes thing, but we'll see how that, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that happens. Uh, yeah. You were telling me uh, before we went to broadcast that um, instead of going to fly fishing trade shows, you're actually just hitting up the regular sportsman show circuit explain yeah. that and and why yeah. you think that's more effective than going kind of to the echo chamber well that's exactly what it is we're going to an echo chamber because we did fly shows last year and on it it's all the same people uh speaking of social media it's all the people from social media they're all working at booths uh or they're just walking around and you know taking pictures and shaking hands and yeah it's cool to see you know all the people from online it's cool to meet the people from your industry, yes, but I'm a business, and we also need to be profitable to, to remain a business. And the big complaint you hear from people at fly shows is, you know, some guy will be like, hey, I came all the way from, you know, Virginia for here, and we didn't sell a thing. You know, nobody wanted to buy it because they already know everything we do because they see us online or, you know, because of our online footprint. They have no reason to buy it here. And then the other thing you hear is, you know, we're just here to be, make a presence. We're here because they're here. And since they're here, we have to be here. And then you go talk to them and they say the same thing. Well, they're here, so we have to be here. You know, and, and so it, it's kind of a self-fulfilling thing of a bunch of vendors that don't even want to be there. <laughs> and, that's, and so my, my partner and I, last year when we were talking about this, we're like, this is nuts. Why are we even doing this? You know, and especially, you know, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, so to speak. So my, my partner out there in Colorado kind of made the, the decision, hey, let's focus on non-fly fishing shows because these are people that aren't exposed to fly fishing. They don't know anything about fly fishing, or maybe they want to, but they don't know where to begin. And fly fishing doesn't go to those shows because fly fishing maintains their own show. Mm -hmm. So let's break mold and go be a part of something that is completely different. And so this year we're signed up for uh, just fishing expos, fishing expos, outdoors expos. Uh, you know, we're, we're in basically anywhere we can be but fly fishing. And uh, even the people that we're working with that, like, set up our booth space, 
they're so excited for us to be here. Uh, for example, we're doing a show in Kokomo, Indiana in January. It's smaller, but it gets, you know, it gets several thousand people to come through there over a two day, two day thing. Um, the owners of the show said there were people last year literally asking questions about fly fishing. When are you guys ever going to get a fly fishing vendor? Because they don't know what to do or who to talk to. And so they're stoked that we're going to be there to provide that voice for the fly fishing community. They can't get anyone to come. And so they were shocked that we wanted to. <laughs> so uh, we kind of used that momentum and called around to some other shows in the, you know, the Midwest. And the same response. You know, we've asked fly fishing companies to come and they say no. And so we're, we're excited that you want to. And so uh, we're going to just kind of see how it works, see how it goes, uh, meet a bunch of people that hopefully have wanted to get into it, but just don't know where to begin. And now they can fish with a rod or not fish with cast with a rod, talk to somebody, get those questions answered and not feel intimidated by walking into a fly shop, you know? So we'll see. We'll see. We're kind of breaking ground here. See, so hopefully it works out well. <laughs> it can be intimidating. I will say that when I first started, uh, not my Orvis shop uh, directly. There was one uh, fly guide that I encountered at one of my first fly fishing events who's kind of a jerk to me. And uh, some other people are like that too. I won't name his name. Um, he's not really well known, but I don't want to badmouth this individual. But I could tell he was not patient with me when he was guiding me. And I was snagging <laughs> in wow. different like brush or trees and things like that. Uh, but I would say most people are pretty patient, but you do encounter a lot of judgmental people who are like, oh, you have to like get this like automatically. And I'm like, I'm new to this. I'm green. I need help. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you could be a little more patient with me, but like recently uh, with my fly fishing lodge client and the guides he uses, they're phenomenal. Like they're super patient and just make the whole process really easy going and help you land fish. Even when you think, okay, my novice behavior may not help me get fish but like regardless of your experience level they they will help you uh, and they do uh, help you put you on the board for a fish too but yeah it can be really intimidating uh to get into fly fishing because it is kind of like you have your select group of people and yeah it, it's a learning curve and just like it's kind of a cult here in in my area uh it's it's, it's a lot of different people a lot a lot of uh, skewed towards younger people, uh, primarily guys. You see some women doing it more so, but you see in the cities, I think Orvis kind of plants itself all over the country and kind of close to cities and some similar yeah. smaller tackle shops, fly tackle shops too. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, a lot of people perceive it to be quite elitist. And that was my initial thinking. And then I kind of got over the hump and realized, okay, maybe it's not so much when you get to know people better and not incline yourself to to people who could be snobbish. So kind of like you with, with uh, going into fly fishing, I kind of had those preconceived notions. And then those have been slowly shed, shed away uh, with meeting more people. You meet people on the river. And, uh, I mean, they'll stare you down like, hey, how are you today? And they'll just sit and stare at you. It's like, come on, tough guy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's, uh, that's annoying. That is so annoying. <laughs> but uh, that, that, I'm sure that exists in all levels of fishing. Yeah. You know, but you, you, you tend to get that more in the fly fishing crowd. And, and we actually, you were talking about Orvis. That's kind of the nickname we call him is Captain Orvis. Oh. When, when you see them, they're, they're wearing, I mean – their outfit costs more than like my car. Oh boy. And man, they know what they're doing, you know? And even if they don't, that's just the perceived, that's the, that's their perception. And, uh, you just give them a wide berth, go wide around, 
just go on your day. But yeah, but then, you know, then the next guy you meet, they're the nicest person you're ever going to meet. And they're going to, they'll give you 10 flies just because they're working that day. You know? Yeah. I met someone like that here who gave me, so he lent me some flies to use and I got some hits. It was in an urban fishery, uh, close to me, but I didn't get any fish and that was okay. But I learned quite a bit and he helped me improve my casting. And one guy that I really like a lot, who was wonderful. He used to be the uh, general manager of the Orvis, uh, closest to me in Arlington. And now he's, uh, Again, I think he's solo guiding. I think he's freelance guiding. His name is Duber Winters. He's really awesome. I loved fishing with him. He was so nice and patient and really good. And he's excellent. Um, If people here in DC area ever want to fish with someone, he's a go-to person, uh, makes fly fishing a lot of fun. But yeah, there are like people like who are kind of the Orvis archetype who are really nice. And and then there are some who are not. Yeah. I, I can say on the river, I would say I have met way more good people than bad. Yes. But it's those it's those bad people that stand out. They're the ones that people share stories of. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that give those concept those preconceptions. Fly fishermen are snobs. And it's because of that one jerk that gave someone a bad experience that came back and told thirty people. <laughs> you know, that's what you see. But there's way more good than bad. I mean Fly fishing attracts their own kind of crowd. I mean, it does. A lot of fly fishermen are fanatical about it. And, uh, I mean, if they're not catching fish, they're having a bad day. And then you come up and try and talk to them about the weather, and they're already mad anyways. <laughs> so, you know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a unique uh, dyna- fishing dynamic to enter, especially – I bet you were bait casting and spin casting for most of your life too – and it's just so different, but it's fascinating. And, and when you have success, you want to learn more. So like, I have that interest to do more, even with this cold weather coming in. <laughs> I've had to get used to that. Uh, but it's like, you could do it like Virginia, you can go to like little urban outposts and uh, certain areas, limestone creeks in Maryland or near Shenandoah in Virginia. Like there's so much you could do uh, close to cities. Even Baltimore has like an area where the uh, the legend Lefty Cray used to go fishing. There's an area called Gunpowder Falls, I think that's what it's called. Okay. But yeah, uh, there's just so much you can do. And uh, you you were telling me that you were doing some uh, fly casting and fly fishing trips all across the U.S. Uh, the Eastern Seaboard. Were you planning to do any more trips? And I know we've been trying to plan maybe a steelhead uh, trip with you and your friend. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything coming up? Yeah, actually, I'm leaving. I'm leaving for Florida here in a few weeks uh, to fish with a guy named Spencer Watson down around Panama City. We're gonna do some uh, some flats down there. Uh, he's a guy that we work with, and uh, I mean, shoot, we've been working with him now for for several years. But they, he has a a line of charter boats, and uh, so we're gonna go down and do some flats fishing with him. That'll be fun. Nice. And then, uh, yeah. Then after that, I know we got a steelhead trip. I think we're gonna do. Uh, southern michigan or northern indiana but it might be out your way uh perhaps and we're probably looking around february or march for that cool um, we're looking yeah there and then really 2019 is just kind of ended i don't i don't those are the only two trips i have now going into 2020 but i want to think i probably did i don't know 15 or 16 different trips this year just around fishing different areas and when we go on these places though it's fishing with people that we work with we kind of finagle them into business trips Good. So uh, we'll go fish with the guides that we work with, or you know, some people the the out the right you know people like yourself that you know that's kind of what we do. 
and uh, then we do the social media events out of it. You know, share the picture, share the experience, and that kind of thing. Encourage other people that you can do a trip like this too. And here's how we did it, and it was cheap because we did it like this. And yeah, I kind of make a, a learning experience out of it instead of just going to go catch a fish. But um, they're fun. I mean, it's it's they're they're good times. Goodness gracious! Hopefully, you like whiskey, Gabriella. I'll I'll, tell you. I'll have to learn how to like it better. <laughs> I can do cognac. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the closest but i can i'm a social drinker so i can i can oh, learn wow. yeah yeah Not, if you ever watched the movie or read the book a river runs through it drink i watched the movie through. yes the movie i finally saw that movie a few months ago and it was so sad i finally understood the premise behind it, <laughs> yeah. it it's, and why it's kind much, of yeah most fly fishermen that is that is the movie mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, I was like, wow, it's a lot deeper than I thought. Like, yes, there is a lot of fishing. Uh, th- yeah. That's kind of the theme behind it, but it's like a deeper meaning, obviously, behind it. And uh, I have tattoos, but I want to get the tattoo haunted by waters on me. But then, oh, I know. <laughs> but then I feel like yeah, but then I got it because of that. And then I, I, would I, your wife like that? I don't think she would like that, would she? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've been cautioned that if I get any kind of fishing tattoo. The only thing it's going to do is make me look like a giant redneck. Like, I don't know if I agree with that. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to figure out if you guys do come out this way, either if we do Beaver Creek, which has a limestone, or yep. we could do Gerard, like uh, Lake Erie, Pennsylvania type areas. Either way, I think both of those produce really good fishing, I think. Uh, and, and there are some other areas too in Maryland where the Patonxit River hits like the Potomac where they stock it with trout and it's supposedly really good. Uh, okay. So Maryland has a lot, Virginia has a lot. So we'll be in touch about that type of stuff and I'll try to maybe we, yeah, it should be good. And those Lake, those Lake Erie trips are nuts. I have I'm never gonna... done steelhead. So I'm going to have to lean on you <laughs> for that. If we do that. Crazy. They're tiny little streams. You know, there's graffiti. Well, we were fishing out of Buffalo. I see. You know, graffiti all over you, tiny little streams, beautiful environment because, you know, it's that urban underneath bridges. There's the city. I mean, it was kind of, it was really, it was different, but oh my goodness, the fish, it was, they were so crazy and, and not many people, people just don't really fish them. It was crazy. And well, this, at least the price that I'm used to, I guess. And this was Buffalo in the downtown? area really huh downtown might get robbed at any moment oh gosh wow i never (laughs) that's crazy who would have thought yeah because i think i thought like most steelhead fishing would be in like the pennsylvania lake erie like off the tributaries there uh and then i think i've seen i spoke to and interviewed a guide out of grand rapids michigan and he does it in he and his son do it in downtown grand rapids and i think it's a little safer than buffalo (laughs) Yeah. Uh, from there, but now, there was only one time I think I've ever. Now, nah, I mean, by by a human, only one time I think I've ever really been threatened. Oh wow! Times, but yeah, there was. I was fly fishing actually for carp in Indiana on a river in Logansport, and a uh, homeless guy just came running out of the woods with a log, and started screaming at me to get out of his river, and uh, I was I kind of was taken aback by it. I didn't I couldn't go anywhere. Cause I was standing in the river and I was trying to move and he just started, then he stopped and started throwing rocks at me. Like, trying <gasps> to hit. Me. Holy cow. Like, get out of my river. Get out of my river. Get out of my river. And I started like, where do you want me to go? And he just like, get out of here. Get in. And, <laughs> I mean, this is a public river. You know what I mean? The guy was wearing no shirt. 
Uh, he had on like ripped cutoff shorts and you could tell y- you knew it. So I started walking away and then he started coming out even more at me with this log. Like he was going to hit me. That's crazy. And, uh, I kind of, I kind of faced up to him and I was like, you need to go away, man. Like you need to leave me alone. And, uh, he got probably within about 10 feet of me and I was like, okay, this, this guy's going to get me and, uh, I can still carry. And so I, I grabbed my gun. He could see that I had a gun. I never pulled it out, but he saw that I had it. Wow. And then he started yelling at me to leave me alone, leave me alone. And then he turned around and sat on a rock up on the bank and just stared at me like a gorilla, just sat there wow. and stared at me. And, uh, so I turned around and I, I walked, I don't know, probably 200 yards down the river, got out walked back to my car and called the police uh-huh. and the police were like, Oh yeah, yeah, we know, we know he's there. He'll go away when it gets cold. And I'm like, Whoa, like this is your, this is the see something, say something moment here. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Oh no, no, he does that. It's okay. He, he won't do anything. But yeah. Good for you for exerting control. Cause that could be a dangerous situation. Oh my gosh. I, I, and that's what I told him. I felt threatened. I felt like this guy meant me harm. And uh, they're like, oh, no, no, he, he's done that before. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would be terrified. I wouldn't know what to do. Being a woman, like, you never know with these, with these homeless types, unfortunately. The thing, what, be, okay, put a woman in that situation. What would this guy have done? Pro- you, you probably know, a heinous know. act, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and, and the police just said, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. Somehow. I've not been I've not been back to that river since then. Yeah, because he's probably like a guardian of the river and is. Well, that's kind of I was in. That's kind of what it was like. I was in his house when I was fishing for. Oh no. Yeah. So that was wild. <laughs> do do you do you conceal carry often when you fly fish? I've never really heard many people because like I know people who do it when they go hunting. They carry with them in addition to having yep. uh, shotguns or, or other hunting type rifles. But you you can. That's interesting that you do that too, where, where it's safe to do it, obviously, or legal to yeah, do it, so I should say. In, in Indiana, I mean, I'm, I'm permitted here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's so I, I do. I, I have a fly pack that has a uh, pouch on the side where I keep it. And so, uh, but yeah, it's always accessible. And then when I'm not wearing a fly pack, I have it in my chest pocket on my waders. And so I have it there because, you know, again, and a lot of that is uh, the perceived, you know, the perception of fly fishermen. You know, it's an expensive rod, it's expensive gear, and a lot of the times where I fish, I am, I'm alone, or you're very remote uh, places, you don't, you don't, you don't know who you're going to encounter, you know, that, that's out there, and uh, I would rather just have it and not need it than, you know, need it and not have it, so, yeah, that's the, the first time ever I've ever even grabbed it uh, while I've been fly fishing, and uh, a guy was standing 10 feet away from me with a log, <laughs> Looking like he's going to use it like a baseball bat. On oh, me. my gosh. So, yeah. And I, I honestly think the only reason why he stopped is because he saw that I had a weapon. I, I don't I don't know if he was actually going to stop. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it, was, it was a weird experience. I mean, sometimes you just have to show it, obviously, not shoot it, but just, just showing it could be a deterrent. That's what we all talk about when we conceal right. carry or if we argue about why there's a good case for concealed carrying because just showing it, not firing it can be a good deterrent. He, he left, he stopped. And then I, I was able to walk, you know, to the other side of the river and, and walk away from him. And he, he completely left me alone. That's good. So yeah, something else, but you know, th- you hear stories all the time of people that have their trucks broken into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff like that. And so, 
yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, I'd rather just, you know, be prepared. But I also have a law enforcement background, so that's also kind of ingrained in me as well. So there's not many places I go where I don't conceal carry. Good. Good for you. I think more of us need to do that better. <laughs> Especially, yeah, because you don't really think of fly anglers conceal carrying because it's uh, it skews a certain way philosophically and even more politically. I, I would think uh, a lot of fly anglers tend to be more liberal. But it's sure. maybe you should do a piece about concealed carrying when fly fishing, just because of the nature of it. When you have to go to remote areas, you never know. That that'd be such that'd be such an interesting topic to explore. You should you think well, about that. A lot of reasons too. I'll carry it because of animals. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, you don't know. I mean, when we were in Colorado recently, you know, the, you don't know what you're going to encounter. You know, when you're out there and. Uh, you know, Indiana has a, a large coyote population, but I, I'm not afraid of coyotes. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of wild dogs here. Uh, that I mean, who knows? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would rather just be more prepared than not. And uh, I don't care anything that's serious. I mean, it's just a little 380. But uh, that's better than, you know, not. It's better than picking up a, a log and having a log fight. Yes, very much so. Very much yeah. so. That's so true. Uh, Brad, yeah. do you have any uh, any other additional thoughts you want to add before you give a plug for where people can find and buy ro- uh, rods from you and, and support Walton Rods if they wanted to? Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not so much. This has been a, this has been a fun process, you know, for us with Walton Rods. You know, we're growing, uh, we're growing every year. Uh, we sell more rods every year than the year before. It's just been a blast, and and that's kind of the message that we get out, uh, you know, through our social media that. That we're doing this because it's fun. We're not we're not doing it to you know make a ton of money. We do it because we enjoy it because we love designing rods that people like yourself catch fish on. That is such a cool thing, and and to be a part of the industry in this way, uh, promoting American businesses and you know American workers that that we use to make our rods. I mean, it's just a it's a neat thing. It's a neat thing, and and now going into to 2020, which is kind of fun, we're. Um, we're actually moving a large portion of our operation in-house. Um, our, our co-founder, Mike, he's going to start making these. Uh, he's actually making them. He's been making them for a while, but we're actually going to start selling them um, in Rifle, Colorado. And oh, wow. So, uh, what our, our whole slogan, it's always been, uh, you know, handcrafted or built in America, something like that. And now we're going to change it to, uh, I think, built in Colorado, I think is what he's wanting to call it. Uh, but he's going to start making all the rods himself. Uh, we got a little rod shop we just started out there. And so um, I don't know if we're to the point we're going to need to hire help. I think uh, him and I can handle most of this on what we're doing right now. Uh, it, it'll be a full-time gig, but um, it, it should it, it, it's coming together. It's pretty fun. But uh, it's giving us a lot more opportunity, and, and we're able to play with margins a lot better by moving this in-house. And so um, since the beginning, we've been using third-party third party, Amer- USA third-party manufacturers that make them for us. And uh, that's just an extra expense by paying somebody else to make them. So we'll be able to do some fun things this way. And a lot of these rods are just going to be some crazy one-off stuff. Like you're talking about steelhead. Uh, we're looking at making like a really long, heavy, heavier action um, steelhead rod. So like a 12-foot or a 13-foot six-weight like you have. So the same rod you have, mm-hmm. but four feet longer. Wow. So, you know, something like that. So you don't you weren't really making casts. You'd be extending your arm to get to fish and kind of check-nymphing or euro-nymphing 
with a heavy rod. Uh, so that way you can still hold the fish and slow it down in short water. And, uh, you know, we're looking at making carp rods, musky rods, uh, just more one-off specialties instead of kind of the, uh, the lines of rods we have now with like our C9, our Solly, our native series. It's just going to be more of, Hey, here's 10 of these there. We just made, you want them? <laughs> and then kind of move on to the next idea. And but, do you uh, guys have plans for women's yeah. rods too? The, uh, uh, yes. I don't know how much I can get into Oh, that. no, no, of yes. course. But are you exploring it? Okay, you are exploring it. Cool. Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, we're looking at collar patterns, uh, cork, cork sizes, uh, stuff like that. And we've actually gone back and forth on the idea of a women's rod. Uh, because... And, and we've gone back and forth because of different women we've talked to about women's rods, which is funny as this is. Some women love it. Some women are offended by it. Mm. And so we're trying to figure out that line. How, how, how do we approach this? And the women that are offended by it say, look, I'm a fly fisherman. I want a fly rod. I don't need a rod. I don't need a dainty rod for my dainty hands because I'm a dainty person. They're like, I want, a, I want a fly rod. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it's almost like, don't placate to me. Just let me be a fisherman. And then the women that want it, that's exactly what they say. Well, like, well, a lot of these fly rods, you know, they wear my hand out. They're too big. I get cramped. My hand's cramped. And so uh, what we're looking at doing is probably a very limited run of some different cork weight sizes and kind of saying that these are designed for a smaller stature person is kind of the idea we're looking at. So not that, not exactly a woman's rod, but something because, you know, not to offend the men out there, but there's some also smaller stature men that could benefit by using a smaller stature fly rod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of the angle we've been looking at. But um, I don't know. I, that's definitely in the works. And there are some that, that we have right now, but we just haven't put any out. That's very exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. And you know, that's the thing. It's fun. It's fun to brainstorm these things. It's fun to come up with the names of them. And it's, and it's just awesome to see people's reactions when they get them and they like them. That's the coolest thing. Yeah. It sounds like you guys have a really great 2020 in store. Where can people find Walton Rods, connect with you directly? How about all, all your social channels or or emails or websites? What are those? Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, We have a YouTube, but I, I neglect it. But uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all at Walton, at Walton Rods. And uh, if you do any messaging there, that's all me. I, I respond. I, I insist. I, I respond to all the messages. Uh, I can't say I respond to all of them. If it's an intelligently written sure. email, <laughs> I'll respond to that. But uh, some I just don't waste my time on. But, yeah, um, but that's me. And um, email, I mean, if you go to waltonrods.com, uh, emails, uh, I, I, I handle all that as well. So um, I, I kind of just insist on being able to have direct communication with everybody. So That's helpful. Uh, it's, it's an old maxim for business practices, but I think uh, anything that's more personalized and tailored to individual uh, needs, I think, is, is better than just having to deal with some corporate third-party type entity when having questions or inquiring yeah. about things. But this has been really fun. I've been enjoying getting to kind of get a glimpse into how you've been conducting your business, hearing your interesting stories and hopefully we can, yeah, hopefully we can uh, 
follow through with uh, doing like a group outing somewhere in my area or not too far away. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I've um, I've fished over there in Virginia a few uh, or twice now. Uh, we call it blue lining, where we just kind of find a map, look for the blue lines, and go fish them. That's cool. And uh, but what's up there? It's it's tiny little um, tiny little um, tri- the native uh, brook yes. trout is what they are. They're five inches long, you know. And there's like twenty of them that live in a pool that's twenty feet wide, and they they that's where they live their lives. And then you go find them in these tiny little streams up in the middle of the mountains. And yeah, that's, that's pretty fun. You might run into a Sasquatch. It's pretty cool. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. Thank you, Brad, for coming on. And I hope this could send some business your guys's way, get people interested in the product, especially with it being American made and hopefully some more followers. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Yeah, no problem. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other participating platforms. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement. Thank you for listening, and we will have another double feature of episodes next week. Have a good rest of the week, everyone. Thank you for listening.